Thank you for hanging out for this episode of The Card Table. I'm super grateful to be here with you. Let's get after it. Gratitude. On that 400 trillion to one thing, I'm grateful. This is cool. Like, life is good. Life is good. Check, check. Mic check. Welcome back to the card table. Thank you for joining us again for episode number two. Super pumped about today. Uh, we got Brett McGrath from Stacking Slabs on the podcast today. An outstanding conversation we have with Brett. He talks a lot about strategy. He talks about learning lessons. He talks about creating your own path as a sports card collector, investor, and uh, doing that with, I think, great purpose. I think that makes him an, an exceptional collector, an exceptional guy, and a, and a great podcast host. You can find him at Stacking Slabs absolutely everywhere. Super grateful Brett spent some time with us at the card table to tell what I think are some amazing stories. Stick around to the very end when he tells some like true-to-form card table special stories about a couple of cards in his collection that I think describe a lot about how sports cards can connect us to amazing memories, to fantastic experiences, and are more than just little pieces of cardboard we, we store in cardboard or plastic around our houses. So let's get into it with Brett McGrath from Stacking Slabs. Thanks for hanging out with us at the card table. Welcome, Brett McGrath from Stacking Slabs. I reached out to Brett over Twitter. I guess you could say I slid into his DMs because Brett uh, had, has been a huge inspiration for me. And I think he really brings a couple of key things that I noticed nobody else is doing right now. And he's, he's got some like world-class copywriting skills. He's passionate. He's got these passionate monologues uh, and interviews on his, on his podcast, known as Stacking Slabs, that I think it really, it strikes a different note. And, and I really want to dig into that with, with you, Brett, because not only are you, do you have, a, I guess, the storytelling and the, and the passion, but you also have, you're extremely strategic and I want to, I want to get into your process and, you know, if, if you're willing to go there, I guess more, more into like your, your business life too, because I think a lot of what you did in your career is developed into the podcast. And, and I think you just do an extraordinary job bringing about different avenues of the sports card business. So you define yourself as an investor, collector and wrestling fanatic. Mm -hmm. which I, I think if you could see the background here would be, I, I understand much more. So <laughs> now Brett has many uh, wrestling figurines and, and paraphernalia behind him, wrestling paraphernalia, to be clear. Warm welcome, Brett. Thank you for taking the time today to, to hang out for a little bit here at the card table and just really appreciate you. So welcome to the card table. Yeah. Thank you so much, uh, Jason. And I appreciate the warm introduction and uh, the kind words. And I'm really excited for this conversation. I meet a lot of people in the hobby and talk with a lot of people about what I'm doing. And no one has approached a conversation with me the way I think you are on this. And these are some of my favorite topics. So I am an open book and I will share all. So let's get it started. Awesome, Brad. Well, I like to bring it back like go back in time, right? I, I, I talk about the card table and 
while sports cards is something we have in common, I, we, we spend enough of time, uh, uh, you know, in our day jobs, I, and maybe not our day jobs, but talking about sports and sports cards. What I want to talk about is kind of the stories around that and talk about the character of Brett McGrath, talk about the uh, origin of, of stacking slabs as well, and talk about where you go in the future. So let's go way back. What got you into the hobby, I guess, probably way back when, and I know you got back into the hobby this year. So what, what was the origin story of Brett and sports cards? Yeah. So I, I think I was just like any, uh, I grew up in, uh, I was born in 85. So a nineties kid more or less that shaped my adolescence and just in the junk wax era, right. You, every kid my age was into sports cards. It seemed, um, I have, as you alluded to with wrestling figures and paraphernalia around me, I have just a very obsessive mindset when it comes to things that I'm really, really passionate about. And growing up a kid's in, kid in the 90s, you know, I was super passionate about sports and anything sports related. So whether it was, you know, buying, making sure I had the new uh, Sean Kemp jersey from the Sonics or making sure I had the new Penny Hardaway shoes, um, I had to have those things because they were just passions of mine. So sports cards were a big part of growing up for me, as I know uh, a lot of people my age. Um, you know, going to the local LCS, getting, saving up allowance, doing odd jobs to get um, hobby boxes that were quite affordable now that I look back at it at that time. But just that moment of coming home and spending time opening up the cards, sorting them, situating, seeing what hits, um, you know, were presented in those boxes really drew me in. I have just a collector's mindset. So like scarcity and sports cards has always been uh, super intriguing for me. Um, and so the, you know, it's like anything, right? You get, you grow up a little bit, you go to high school, you get interested in girls and partying and you go to college <laughs> and sp sports cards kind of take Wait. a back seat. Yeah. Right. Um, so that, that was kind of my, my exit on, on sports cards. And it was for no reason outside of, I just got busy and distracted, um, with a bunch of other stuff that, uh, popped up in life, but I'm even home were your parents into sports cards back then too i know that for me like leaving home going to college that's where i definitely looking back was like 98 99 and then i left school you know for school in 2000 i guess leaving the leaving the home kind of sent you away mom didn't sell, yeah. did mom sell your sports cards when you left <laughs> no luckily she did not so i i actually when i moved to college when i went to college my parents built and moved into a new home and when I got back into sports cards this year, you know, and started the podcast and like was trying to navigate and look at the landscape and realize how different it was and how there was nostalgia, but then there was business opportunity. That's what got me in. And of course, like as I was getting my feet under me and trying to figure out like everybody else, I thought, well, I wonder where my cards are from when I grew up. So immediately, you know, I live, I live downtown Indianapolis. My parents live a little north of me, so about a 20-minute drive, I remember shooting my dad a text, and he, he's he got stuff in the attic, and I just said, hey, do you know if my old binders and cards are up there? And he went and looked, and he said, they're here. And literally, when he said that, I dropped everything, got in my car, and just hauled it all. Like, I couldn't believe it. It was like it was like living in the past going through, it was funny just looking through the binders, how I organized cards, who I was into, who I thought was going to uh, pop off then. So I still have those cards and I often like 
we'll share photos of uh, random players uh, to people I'm connected with on Twitter and Instagram, and it's just fun. Did you go back and do like, I call it card archaeology, but digging through because you're like, I know this golden nuggets there. I know this Kobe Bryant rookie is hiding somewhere in the troves of this 5,000 card comp box. Did you you do the card archaeology and go digging for hours and hours? So it's funny. I, I certainly Kobe um, and it, you know, obviously with Kobe's passing and that impacted everybody in the hobby and you know, me specifically a lot more than I thought it would um, but when I got back, it was, you know, I didn't even think about having Kobe Bryant rookies, but it all comes back to me. And then I saw his like Flair Ultra and I saw his yeah. draft class was ridiculous. Like, I mean, there's just so many stars and Hall of Famers in that class. And I remember like looking through my binder and being like, all right, there's a Steve Nass, there's a Samaki Walker. And then being like flipping the page and being like, please tell me there's a Kobe. And I flipped <laughs> the page and there, there was a Kobe Bryant. So like, yeah, like not specifically, but I knew. I had some cards that meant a lot to me growing up that I thought maybe not would hold a lot of value now but like then there was some instances like with Kobe that um, it was fun to find those cards that actually mean something and have value today yeah Kobe was definitely one of those guys like you said with his passing this year and the draft class with Iverson Ray Allen Kobe like you said amazing amazing draft class and performance over the course of many people's careers out of there he was one of those guys where for me, it was like, I got to go find those because I, I wouldn't say I was a Kobe collector way back when, but his passing, like you said, something struck a note there within me, you know, the Mamba mentality, certainly an advocate of those principles, how much he gave back to his community, developed, you know, young athletes and, and his daughter. I, I just, I had to go find them because I'm like, I got to preserve these things. They, these are definitely not things I pulled out and had, you know, tucked away like a Derek Jeter rookie or something like that. It was, they were literally like, in baseball card boxes hidden between two cards. So Kobe, I think had a, a massive impact, at least on my collecting. I think many pe- other people's this year. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I think now I'm finding myself is, and I think everyone goes through this when they get back in the hobby, they try to see what's happening, how the market works. They're trying to figure out like sets, products, cards, players, and everyone's trying to find their lane. And I started the podcast because I wanted to share my story of trying to find my lane. And now like being in it, doing, doing the podcast, picking players that I want to go deep in and collect in. I found myself closing out this year where I am now finding myself wanting a piece of Kobe Bryant, some, some, a card of Kobe Bryant, cards of Kobe Bryant that, probably are more expensive than normal, probably are serial numbered and scarce. But like, to me, like I think about 2020 and I think about just what a crazy year it's been. And it's been just a crazier, but a year of opportunity and getting back into cards. And I feel like I really need like some, some more Kobe Bryant to help like put a punctuation point on this year and turn it into a positive. So I'm finding myself now, with a collector's mindset trying to pursue Kobe, some Kobe Bryant cards that I might not have thought I wanted prior to me jumping back in the hobby. That's really cool. Yeah. I think, like you said, like a piece of Kobe, I was, I was following and watching a bunch of like, you know, relics, autos, like you said, personally, I'm a, I'm in that like phase of like putting all those uh, cards back through PSA, getting them graded, kind of building the bankroll. So my, my approach is probably like that, like re-entry, true re-entry kind of, building up towards things and you talk a lot about like leveling up your collection and yeah definitely it's amazing to look at what's out there and I I, I love like 
the Kobe cards are um, the, the, the gold and the blue or the yellow and the blue with the Lakers uniforms. I just think that they really, they really pop. And there's something, I don't know, special about them when I see them uh, out there on Instagram and everything else. I find myself, I think, following up and looking like, oh, is, is that one affordable? Nope. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> They've gotten so crazy this year. It's like, okay, we're going to have to sell a few more things before we can consider that. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, just like it's advice to anybody out there and like stuff, stuff is expensive and especially Kobe stuff, but like it is advantageous for you as a collector to, if, even if you can't afford it or Kobe's outside your, your budget, follow the collectors that are passionate about Kobe. Watch what they do. Watch what sets they're buying. Watch what type of cards they buy. I do that with Kobe collectors and LeBron collectors. And it really helps steer me in the right direction sometimes. So that's just a little nugget recently that I've been picked, picking up on. Even if you don't specifically collect the players like a LeBron and Kobe or Michael, like go follow the collectors and watch their habits because it can really drive some really good activity for you. That's a huge nugget. I, I really appreciate you sharing that. It speaks to what I, what I listen to stacking slabs. It's you have a very strategic mindset. And does that grow out of your career? You, you've seemed to work a lot of like outbound marketing. You've got that approach, but with, with your current role and what you do within your edu- education management company, is that, do you really take that, those lessons learned from your career and what you've done so far and apply that to cards? Cause you're extremely strategic, I guess, at the end of it. Yeah, I think like, so when, when I, my foundation for like operating what I'm doing in the hobby is really the show stacking slabs. And that is, I view stacking slabs from the element of what I do professionally is build and develop audience and build and develop brands for software companies. So I wanted to take my chops of doing that professionally and apply it to the hobby and just see what happens. And I've been fortunate that in my career, I've gotten to a point where I work with awesome team now and a lot of really smart people are getting down in the weeds and and rocking out these functional roles within marketing and dominating social media. And I watch these, I call them kids because they, they seem like kids to me, but they, they're just so, so intelligent and they navigate the social media channels. And I'm, I'm far removed from that. So like for me in stacking slabs, it was like, all right, I need to get my hands dirty, get in the social game, learn how it works. And so that's been fun in terms of brand development. Um, So, so for me, it's, providing value, giving back, building an audience, not trying to like capitalize and make money off of the people that are listening to me. Like that's a big part for me. Like I want to provide value because my mindset is, is long-term. I don't have a short-term mindset. It's long-term. It's if I continue to provide value for the people that are listening to me and my audience continues to grow and people continue to tell their friends about stacking slabs, like opportunities are going to come on the other side of that. And for me, it's in the hobby and with the show and the way I operate, it's always coming from a place of abundance. Like don't have a transactional mindset, be mindful of relationships, treat people well, like having those core values or those core elements have really navigated and helped guide me in terms of decisions I make, whether it's on the show or whether it's uh, buying buying specific cards and and this Jason this hasn't happened overnight right this is an evolution and I'm very curious so I I learn from other people and I take pieces of what other people are doing and kind of mix it together and try to apply it into my strategy so like my I guess to answer your question specifically it's I have a strategy and it evolves 
and I, it's hard and you, I put in time and I put in work. And when you put in time and you put in work, you get rewarded for it. And that's the one thing I think I see a group of people in the hobby do. They're super passionate. They put in the time, they build relationships and they're, they're just all about the growth of the sports card market. And then there's another segment that's more transactional and more people trying to make a quick buck. And those are just, those two, those are two separate worlds that are happening right now in the hobby. And there, there's some intersection and there's some friction. And to me, I find it fascinating. And my mindset is I'm not trying to save everybody with my show, but people who are trying to operate like me, those are the people who I want to, and are trying to advance what they're doing and learn. Those are the people that are listening to my show and I benefit from it because those are the people who slide into my DMs like you and reach out and make connections and learn from them. So it's kind of like a full circle. So I just try to be very, very thoughtful and be giving back and providing values, kind of like the foundation of everything I'm trying to do. Well put, you know, I, I talk about it uh, when I stream on Twitch about growing the pie. Like there, there's definitely enough pie to go around. We look at the market caps on card ladder and, you know, people, I talk to my friends who are not familiar with sports cards and they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, you, you guys really like this industry is giant. And they're like, yeah, it's just cardboard. You know, I'm like, no, 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 no. It's not just cardboard. It's, it's an asset class. It's, and, you know, introducing it to that introducing these you know concepts to them and showing them card ladder and other tools that are out there today i think it, it's really opened their eyes but let's talk about like that i mean i am completely on board with what you're saying and i, I heard you talking with andrew and cage the other day on uh, lucas tigers and bronze about this but like the people that are paying for picks pay pay for picks content in general like i am i'm completely on the same page we got to grow the pie share value open transparent discussions this is what the hobby is all about and it's something that like i you see people get mired into that i on the flip side too of like the 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 i guess distaste for flippers and all you know people oh you're making you're making too much money off of selling that that box that you bought shame shame on you right and it's right. like well hold on no no there's enough space for everybody in the sports card hobby or in in the hobby in general collectibles uh, you know in general so like pay for picks of content though that that is like a particular niche that i don't understand and you've got some pretty strong feelings about it so do you mind sharing a little bit more of what you were discussing with andrew and cage and elaborating yeah i think i'll get into that but one thing you touched on that i think just everyone needs to be mindful of is that there are different personas demographics in this hobby and this i study markets for a living and i look at markets and segments and what I see in the sports card market is unlike anything I've ever seen in any industry I've ever worked in because the demog the, it, you got kids all the way up to 80 year old people collecting sports cards. Everyone has different intentions. Everyone has different mindsets with that. I think everybody, especially this year, if this year taught you anything is it should be have an open mind and listen, have an open mind, listen, not everyone's going to think like you, not it's, that's not how it's going to be. If you just have an open mind and listen and have a conversation with, with someone, whether they're a flipper, investor, collector, age, whatever, like have a conversation with them. People like people slide into my DMs sometimes and don't like what I say and want to like, want to come at me. I always just try to be very mindful that 
I don't know these people's situation. I don't know how old they are, um, but I, I'm willing to listen and have a conversation. And usually those, those, that gets resolved when I don't try to attack them for attacking my take. So that's one thing I'll just throw out there for anybody listening, like just be mindful of people, their situations and backgrounds. Everyone is different. To answer your question about picks, I think like I, I'm someone that is like, I'm a believer in taking a stand and I, I, I think in everything in life, there is good versus evil. It's just a, a core element that everybody can relate to, good and bad. And I think like the bad of the hobby, part of the bad is these creators that are trying to profit off of people by selling picks. Not, no one's a pro scout. No one has information that is more that's going to make you more money than someone else. Like these people that are positioning it that way, it's, it's just, it's, it's very fraudulent and we operate in a market that's unregulated. And that's a problem. I have a, I have a big problem with it because of the way they position themselves and people that are coming in new to the hobby every day. And they're getting sucked into these sales streams of these people saying that are gurus and they know what they're talking about. And people just don't know any better. The other thing is just like people inherently are lazy. Like people are lazy. People want to be force fed stuff and being force fed the wrong, wrong information and having to pay for it. Those people are going to leave the hobby because it's not yeah. sustainable. So like on my platform, just like my core message to everyone is always like, do the work, like do the work, be creative, come up with your own ideas, think like an owner, because if you have that mindset, you're going to be in the hobby way longer than someone who's trying to buy picks off of someone and hoping that some rookie that somebody's positioning as the next buy now is, is a, is a good thing. Absolutely. It's like, a, there's a trap door set for people. If you're, if you're following picks, I mean, there's, somebody's holding a lot of cards that they're pumping and dumping there's there's like you say ignorance is bliss but like also it, you know coming back in and looking at looking at all avenues of social media this year for myself coming back into the hobby i mean there's there's beautiful pictures out there uh i think you were talking about conrad's conrad's collectibles and made a pretty killer video uh you know about a particular ad and, and it hit me because i swear the pictures that this particular account has on Instagram, I will admit, like trigger the heck out of me. They're beautiful pictures. And then you get the same diatribe and never signed up for the service. But a newcomer coming in, yeah. I'm looking at that going, wow, successful, great cards that aren't actually his or theirs, you know. And, and it's it's the same old like, let's take pictures by the you know beautiful pool in Mexico with this sports car because <laughs> you want you want to be part of that lifestyle, right? And we're all human. And I just, I feel like there's a, there's a victim prey mentality in that situation. And I, I completely agree with you provide value. It's okay to make picks. It's okay to talk about what you're buying and, you know, sharing that information as we all do, because it, it, we're dealing with beautiful sports cards. And, but at the same time to, uh, I guess, charge people for that. I think let's, I, I'm united in condemning those activities. 
Yeah, and, and talking about like the Conrad example, and the reason why I spent the time to call that out on my platform is because I would encourage more people to do that. And the way he did it was creative. He used satire and humor. It got people's attention and everyone knew what he was talking about. And he was taking a stand. And I think more people in the hobby need to take a stand. Like take a stand. Like I saw something on Instagram uh, this week that I thought was wrong. It was somebody using their big platform to tell the market to buy a unproven rookie card for $150 PSA 10 and said, buy it now because players on the team had left because the card was low population for now. And because the player played in the bubble and he was having his audience say, buy this sure thing, $150 base prism card of this unproven player. Now, I took a stand against that because I thought that was bad. That was bad for anyone who's on his platform who are just buying that. There was no mention of risk. There was none of that. So that I get attacked. I got tons of support, tons of more support than attacks, but I get attacked by people and people start to think, what, what do I have wrong against the player that he mentioned? Like, what do you think? How do I not know he's going to be good? And I'm like, it's not about the player. It's (laughs) about the way the guy positioned his, his pick. And so I'm all about people. Not everyone's going to agree in the hobby. And I think that's good. Like conflict is good. Like it, a good, healthy conflict is good. But like when you see something like Conrad, he did it the right way. And pe- more people, awesome. there's no regulation. More people need to take a stand and it, be about something and believe in it. Yeah, I have to admit, I wasn't following his account beforehand, but I went and sought it out. And it's pretty pretty spot on comical video. So shout out to, to Conrad's collectibles for, for the work he's doing there. You touched on some things there too, Brett, you know, we've got prognosticators, pickers. Um, we can call this the market going right. You've got, you've, you've got the saying turn left when the market goes right. What does that mean to you? Yeah. So it, 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 at the core, it's not getting caught up in the hobby hype machine that is created. Like instance, real example, basketball is coming back in less than three weeks. Everyone loves to speculate. Everyone likes to prospect. Every young player, look, every second year player that we all have because we we're in breaks or we open up some hobbies, all these cards are going to be the best cards ever. Like my perspective is, if everyone, if the majority of the market is transacting that way and buying that, those, those cards and those cards are going up, I'm staying away from that. You know why I'm staying away from that? Because there's inflation and there's so many other opportunities in the hobby and so many areas to focus on. So turn left on that and go focus on something else and be three steps ahead when that thing comes around and you're holding assets then at that point that in three months, people are like, that's the new thing. So getting ahead of the curve, not getting caught up in the hype um, is, is what I mean when I, when I say turn left when the market is going right. I think it's great. And it's, it's something that's stuck with me quite a long time now. And, and I think that speaks to your, your strategic perspective. So when I, when I hear it, it's look out six months, know the release calendar, understand sports seasons because there's some seasonality in the market that, you know, reveals itself and it's a ugly head on both the, the upswing and the downswing when we're in the off season. So, you know, for the tactical approach of, like you said, the transactional buyers that come in, they just want to, you know, be lazy or hear information and go, go buy something that that's one thing, but getting out ahead of the, getting out ahead of the market, 
I'm going to ask you though, because, <laughs> because you were, you were, uh, I think watching basketball, buying football and did in that in particular, I guess. And, and I want to talk about it. Not as like a gotcha by any means, but as like, uh. I, you're so good. I fully admitted to that one. Yeah, <laughs> you're so good at reflection, it. though, and like that's what I wanted to actually highlight as one of the things that I think is remarkable about your your perspectives on the market and the things you share on Stacking Slabs is reflection. And so, with, with the football, I guess what's what's the lesson learned there, and and how have you readjusted your strategy going forward as a result? Yeah. So when so I certainly got caught up in this year being the first year back. Um, I would say I, I've learned a ton, but, and the one thing I will say before I get into this is I never put my myself in a position with sports cards and buying, collecting, investing, where I wake up in the middle of the night, worrying about performance and cards dipping. Like this is an alternative investment for me. I, I, it's a, it's like a game within a game that I'm enjoying, like, I know it's not all going to be perfect and I'm going to make mistakes and I'm going to, there's going to be times where you lose money on cards. That's just That's part important. of it. Like, yeah. That's it's just important. part of it. So like I have that mindset, like I come from a place of abundance and like what I, when, when basket, like the basketball card market during the bubble, we all saw it was nuts. Like the example I always talk <laughs> about is like the, the silver, silver PSA 10 Gary Trent junior card was like trading for 500 bucks. Cause he was draining threes. And it was nuts. Like it was crazy. So like I got caught up in the craziness where everyone was focusing on basketball. And I said, well, like, okay, if the sports card market is that this way, people love fantasy football and DFS people love football. Like, like this is going to happen with football. And I know they've always said that like quarterbacks are the, what run the, the football card market, but like, you know, like, like a guy, like, you know, a guy, like, this is an example of someone who hit, but he's the first guy that comes to mind who I bought was, was a, one of the few good investments, DK Metcalf. I'm yeah. like, well, DK Metcalf, I'd rather have his cards than I, than having like a Gary Trent Jr. So like these guys are going <laughs> to pop. So I, 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 I went into it thinking that the way that the market was going to operate was more like DFS and learn quickly. The, COVID especially throwing a wrench in it, but like the week long delays, the, um, the uh, players, skill positional players not being able to control their own destiny. That really matters a lot. And I, I definitely, um, I learned from that. But one of the examples like I talk about, I think even this week is that I focused in on four guys from a skill position perspective. Three of them were complete flops. Um, uh, Kenyon Drake, who's on a good team, but hasn't, perform the way he should have uh marquise brown which he scored a touchdown yesterday which i was like thank thank god this guy finally got in the end zone um yeah and and marlon mack who i'm a colts fan and he got hurt week one and then dk metcalf so three of those guys like literally i've gotten like nothing from but the performance of dk metcalf has been so great and i've i've made profited off of it that i'm i'm up on top of just my investments in football so like that's a strategy that worked for me that was like pick four guys if one hits big then you might you might end up on the other side of it i feel fortunate for that but i will say i won't get into that game this next year i do know that like the value of quarterbacks 
And that like, that's been my primary focus as a Kyler Murray collector. Um, I'm glad I've spent a lot of time focusing on him, but like you live and you learn, and like, I'm better for going through that experience. I like what you said there because, and I want to highlight it because you picked four, four prospects, not, not all prospects in the same sense as like a baseball prospect, but cards that had upside opportunity, you picked four. So you got focused on that. You invested in them. But you also have you, – you're very passionate about Kyler Murray, which I agree. Kyler is amazing, and, and I'm a baseball nut. So, like, I, I see Kyler's yeah, – yeah. you know, like, Kyler – I'm into him because he's got the dual sport mentality. And, you know, did, I live in Minnesota, so I never got to see Kyler play before this year. But I went out there, went on YouTube, looked at his highlights. I'm like, okay, okay. So, like, I, when, I got, when I got into football a little bit, and, and I took a, a different perspective on it, I actually went and built, like, a fantasy squad. And I gave myself 200 bucks. I'm like, let's go buy the best card at each position that I can find for a couple hundred bucks. And I ended up getting like a Saquon Barkley rookie, uh, a Christian McCaffrey, a couple of his rookie cards, a Russell Wilson rookie. I, I don't know how I picked that up for like 20 it's bucks. It's a good one. <laughs> getting graded. So like, I guess it's, it's good to say like the, the focused four card portfolio, four player portfolio, find your own way to like create a little game out of it. And, and allocate a, you know, a little fund, but you know, it's interesting. And I think football stands out this year where it's like, it differed because soccer cards went insane too in that same time period as basketball was going crazy. And so it was completely reasonable to expect the same thing was going to happen on football, but it definitely has been a different market this year. And it, it'll be interesting to see, I guess, on the, on the backside, as we get into playoffs, if there's some lift there, do you, do you see that happening within the playoffs? Like as we get closer and closer, should we be looking at the football market again on this downswing or is everybody, is everybody moving to basketball? Maybe that's the move left uh, when everybody else is going right. What do you think? So, yeah. So I love to cite my sources and uh, I, every time I have one of these conversations, I, I mentioned this guy just because he's extremely insightful. And that's Chris McGill of Card Ladder and House of Jordans. But he was on my show and he said, you know, having basketball and football together on at the same time is will be better for football. And I completely agree with him on that. So, like, I will say I think football cards will have a little bit of an uptick going into the playoffs when basketball is going. But I would not – I would not recommend anyone go out and play the like fantasy football game that you're doing or the yeah. buy four skill guys. I I, like I'm sitting, I'm staring at a st like a stack of Marlon Mack and Marquise Brown slabs that I'm, I'm hopeful. First of all, I went through the process of getting them, buying them and getting them all graded and grading them myself. That was experience that I'm fortunate to have. So that was like learning and good. Uh, but like with like, Marquise Brown, like for me, I'm like, all right, like the Ravens are a pretty good team. Like they're on the border of making the playoffs, but like they're a good enough team where they certainly could make the playoffs. And if they make the playoffs and they click, they could get a run in and like maybe he catches some touchdowns and wins a game. So like, that's my mindset. And then be like, all right, well, this is a guy I can start selling now because of that. So I think like my, my recommendation to anyone would be, and if you like football and you like football cards and are interested, like, First and foremost, like pick a quarterback, like yeah. do your research and pick a quarterback. Research. Yeah. Cause you mentioned Russell Wilson and it's like, I wish I would have bought in Russell Wilson rookie cards. He's a hell of a player. 
and the other thing is, is like, you got to enjoy watching the players that you're buying. That helps. Like I'm a Colts fan. I watch Colts season ticket holder. I watch every Colts game, but after the Colts games are over, I prioritize my time to watch Kyler because I really like watching him play football. So I, I think like, if you're getting into football cards, I wish I would have listened to what people told me back uh, when I was going crazy about football cards, but like start, do your research, do the work, but start with a quarterback and then see how it goes. Absolutely. Good, good sound advice. I've got a few kind of like rapid fire questions, more related, more related to sports cards. And um, I guess I'm, I'm interested in like, what's your favorite set more based on the design, not necessarily the value, but like just the appearance of the card. What's, what are you into? select without question i love select parallels i love the three different sets within select basketball and football it to me when i'm buying a a a i'm a big scarcity guy so i like serial numbered cards and i tend to look at select one i think they're aesthetically pleasing I love the different variations and like the price gap between a select and a prism is wild. Like, and so I just see nothing but opportunity with those cards and they look good to me. Yeah. That's great. If you compare some of the pop reports, I was just looking at like 2012 prism basketball versus 2012 select basketball, not saying, but I'm saying (laughs) (laughs) what's the, um, what's a favorite card in your collection? we got to rule out the Kyler that just arrived, but what else? (laughs) So I've got a, um, I've got a tops draft picks, Peyton Manning uh, card that is BGS 9.5. It's autographed. It's bronze foil. It's a, um, it is a picture of him. The moment he got drafted standing up in the podium and I love this card because I'm Peyton Manning's my favorite player of all time. I literally went to all of his home games, but a, one or two for whatever reasons. Watched this guy my whole career. Um, and that card like signifies the beginning of just my journey with Peyton and as a fan. And I look at the card and I often think to myself when I look at the picture, does he know what he's about to do? And when I look at knowing what I know from him now and looking at him on the face, he does like, he knows he's about to be like one of the greatest players to ever play the game. So that, that card definitely stands out to me. Right. Like what you just said about that Peyton Manning card is the essence of what I want to capture and like show people that like, you know, not not saying everybody's like this, but these are not just pieces of cardboard. There's so much in the pictures and I'm a big photography. I'm not like a photographer, but like, I love good sports card photography and like there, there's just, there's a lot that can go into that card and all those like feelings and memories that like it ties back. I'm sure going to some of the games, like that's a beautiful thing. And I, I just love that you shared that because that's, that's the essence of what I, the stories that I wanted to get shared here on the card table. Can I, can I mention another one too, just because Absolutely. on that. So another card that I just picked up, um, let me, let me grab it real quick so I can show it. It'll take two <laughs> nice. seconds. Um, all right. I think it's right here. Um, so this is a recent edition and there's a story behind it. So it is a 2015 tops definitive dual autograph and it is Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck on the same card. And I bought this card 
and I thought to myself when I was collecting Peyton Manning, I would ne- not because I was spiteful, but I said, I don't really, I'm not interested in buying Peyton Manning in a Broncos uniform. Like a lot of just tough memories for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and there's so much Peyton Manning Colts cards. It's like, why would I buy a Broncos card? This card came up and immediately it put me in the seat of Sunday night football when Peyton Manning, after the year when they operated in two separate worlds, uh, 2013, Peyton Manning returns to Lucas Oil Stadium, the stadium that he was responsible. They would never have been built if it wasn't for him. Standing in my seat waiting for Peyton to come out of the tunnel. And this card, I was with my brother and I was with my dad. That moment of when the Peyton package came on, the cheer, the eruption, and the Robert Mathis sack to win the game. The Broncos were undefeated. Like, this card, like, I look at this card and I think of that night and, like, damn, like, sports cards can do that. Like, that is – they're so powerful. So, I think, like, I just had to call that out because this is one that, like, I've been coming up to my hobby room in between meetings and just looking at because it triggers back just that just awesome memory. I love it. I love it. Like you say, holding it in your hands, playing with the cards, like – to me, some may call it a distraction or whatnot, but to me, it's almost like therapeutic. There's just a lot of like Zen to being going back to that moment, you know, getting, being mindful about it. Um, I, I know you're a, a vinyl collector as well. Do you, do you listen to certain kinds of music when you're handling your cards or do you have the, you know, the album play, record player up in the room there with you to, to jam out to something? And what do you listen to? Yeah, so I I do, and I tr- I connect music and sports cards a lot, and um, a collector at heart collect vinyl, and like that's probably like the most overwhelming question is what I listen to, but I I listen to like I I'm a I just I'm a discovery guy, like I don't let Spotify curate my music, I go out and find it myself and pick the bands I like and what I want, so like I listen to like all spectrums, let's say more more or uh indie rock bands i listen to a lot of just weird ambient music too um that makes me like while i'm working makes me very at peace um but it's across board i love jazz music so like it really like i love all genres and all varieties and it's usually like me like self-discovery of finding these bands and falling in love with them and i'll just shout out one one album that I've just been obsessed with this year Please, so much. Yeah. Um, it's an artist. Her name her name's Katie Crutchfield. She goes by Waxahachie. Is and the album's called Saint Cloud, which you're in you're in uh, Minnesota, Minnesota, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, the uh, she's uh, she lives in Kansas City with her boyfriend, who's an artist my wife loves and I love too, Kevin Morby. Uh, but Waxahachie is the artist, and the uh, album is Saint Cloud. It is just like it's it's made my year good happy sad put it on her voice is incredible so that's one that stands out for me this year how do you spell waxahachie uh, <laughs> w-a-x-a-h-h-a-t-c-h-e-e yeah all right i'm looking it up later i love that stuff i feel like music yeah, connects us all you know when when you're at a concert and you're in the, in the mosh pit, if you're a mosh pitter, I, I was a mosh pitter <laughs> or, you know, just wherever you are, I think music can bring us all together. And I see that so many times. So I like to, uh, I like to ask that question. And then I, when I'm handling cards later on, I like to turn that on and join, join the vibes, whatever, wherever they might be. Um, we got about 
five minutes left. I want to be respectful for your time, Brett. Um, what's coming next for stacking slabs and uh, where are you taking it in the future? I'm, I'm a consumer of your content. I think you do such a fantastic job. What do you got planned for us? Yeah. So I think for, for me, I think first of all, like this year has been incredible and like the show has grown so much. Um, I've grown from the show and it really is just because of the support and the people that tune in every week and listen to me talk about sports cards in my process. So like I'm very mindful and thankful that like the growth of the show is all reliant of the people that are listening to it. So I'm like first and foremost going to continue to just give it my all week in, week out. Nothing is changing there. Wednesday, Friday episodes. Some things that I would like to do, I would like to try to start converting some of my stuff over into um, uh, YouTube, start doing some more YouTube stuff. Um, I, I've been in conversations. I've talked about this at the pot on the pot a little bit about some, some stacking slabs apparel. So some gear, um, people have requested that and someone approached me about, um, helping support that. So stuff, you know, stuff that not just has stacking slab, but more representation of who I am and what I do and the, the purpose of the show. So that's one thing that I think is going to pop off, off, uh, um, pretty soon. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a technology guy. So too, like my mindset's always on innovation in the hobby. And I think like, that's where I'd like to spend a lot of my time going into next year is how can I take my skill set and what do I do professionally and, and, and work on something that'll benefit the whole in the hobby. So that's kind of, uh, it's, it's half baked, but that's where my mind's at right now. And when, and my, I always say when I, when stuff is ready to be shared, I will share it on the show, even if it's not fully, fully uh, buttoned up because I find sharing stuff, getting feedback that that, that only helps in the process. hundred uh, percent. I look forward to hearing it and, and finding out more about this, uh, this maybe project you got going on. Where can we find you uh, with stacking slabs? Stacking slabs at stacking slabs everywhere. Uh, you know, Twitter, Instagram is definitely my primary. It seems like that's where a lot of the hobby is. A lot of my conversations are going there. So like response time is probably the quickest on Instagram, TikTok. Um, I do have a Facebook page. Um, yeah, those are the primary, pretty active on social. I, I literally try to get back to everybody who um, reaches out to me. I will say it's really difficult to engage in a conversation with everyone all the time, but I will respond if you reach out to me. Proof is in the pudding, Brett. You're here with me today. And I just want to say from like the deepest bottom of my heart, thank you for taking the time to, to have a great conversation with me here at the card table, sharing some amazing stories about cards, your origin story, and, and stacking slabs. I think you've, you've developed such a great brand. Um, and I really look forward to seeing more, seeing more, I guess, on YouTube and, and hearing more, of course, on all the uh, podcast platforms out there from you on stacking slabs. And um, just Again, thank you very much. And I, I look forward to working with you in the future, man. Or hearing from Yeah, you man, it was right? an honor. Working with you in the yeah, future. It, it, <laughs> it's like a real it, interview it, there. It, <laughs> it, it was an honor. It was a really fun conversation. <laughs> Thanks for having me on the card table, Jason. Appreciate it, Brett. Well, hot diggity dog. That wraps up episode number two of the card table podcast. Thank you if you made it this far for hanging out with us. Um, that's Two of the top 14 on 137 p.m.'s uh, sports card podcast list. 
I look forward to talking to more folks on that list. Up next, we're going to have an interview with Mikey B from Mikey B Cards. A little bit different angle on the sports card hobby. He's a breaker on YouTube, so go check him out at Mikey B Cards. Again, another shout out to Brett. Super grateful uh, for his presence here at the card table with me and telling some fantastic stories. Check him out at Stacking Slabs. You can check us out at the card table on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Come hang out with us next week at the card table. Thank you very much. Peace and be well.